Blog Talk Radio. TheFourPersons.com. The truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help us, God. believe and don't actually practice. So 
Uh, we're going to kind of talk about purgatory and work our way back from there so that we cover all these issues. And, and I figured purgatory is a log logical place to start and work our way back from there. Okay, so the first objection, Lewis, that Protestants make to the doctrine of purgatory is they say that, that, that it's uh, not in the, they claim that it's not in the Bible. And I mean, although nothing, um, it being in the Bible isn't a requirement because not everything that Christ taught made it into scripture that is still inaccurate, it is in the Bible. It It is, but, but I, I first wanna, like I said, I'm, I'm not, we're not going to try to make the biblical case for purgatory tonight. That's another show. We're not going to try to make the biblical case for indulgences. That's another show. We're not going to try to make the case for Our Lady's apparitions and, and those things. That's another show. Tonight, we're just basically going to stake out what the Catholic position is. And if people want to debate that, they can they can do so. So one of the things that one of the misconceptions that Catholics have about purgatory was when they throw out this idea that, well, the Bible says, you know, death is, uh, the, you know, one death and one judgment is determined for all. Uh, and at, at that point, everyone will be judged. There'll be one judgment, uh, one, one particular judgment, and you receive, uh, you know, you'll either be saved or lost. Lewis, Catholics do not disagree with that. Exactly. Purgatory comes with the, the particular judgment. If you have been judged righteous, if you have been saved by Christ's grace, but are still tainted with, you know, attachment to sin, you know, it's even just common knowledge, um, basic common sense. Christ removes those remaining sins. And, I mean, I've asked this question to Protestants all the time. And you can tell they've never even thought about it. The question is right. always, okay, it, purgatory, I always have to correct them. Purgatory is not a second chance for salvation. It is not an alternative to the blood of Christ. Purgatory is the blood of Christ purifying the remaining sins of those who have died in a state of friendship with him. Right. So purgatory is not a third option. Nobody is going from purgatory to hell. That doesn't happen. Every soul that is in purgatory is a saved soul on its way to heaven. In, in our life, sin has consequences. It has uh, morally eternal consequences, and it has temporal consequences. Okay? So if you have too much to drink, and you go out and you wreck your, your, your car, and you wreck your neighbor's car by running into it, you can go to confession and be forgiven. But the car's still wrecked. <laughs> and, and, and there's temporal consequences to the actions that you took, consequences, uh, you know, need to, need to be atoned for. Your neighbor may even forgive you for wrecking their car. But they're probably still going to expect you to repair their car, right, Lewis? Exactly. Um, Protestants make that hole in their logic that, you know, just because Christ forgives you, that doesn't mean there, there isn't still going to be a consequence. And that doesn't mean um, they also assume that 
Christ. On top of that, you know, there isn't going to be a consequence for our action. The Christ himself also doesn't add discipline too. Like a parent, right. for example, forgiving their child from breaking a rule, but still giving them a punishment in order to, you know, make that child grow. Right. So, so that's the first point. Purgatory deals with the temporal punishment due to sin. The temporal punishment that we do not suffer to make satisfaction for that sin in life. If we die and we still have some of that temporal consequence or, or, or um, venial sin, as it were, attached to us, we must spend some time in purgatory. So we, we look at First John chapter 5, and we read about the distinction between moral and uh, mortal and non-mortal sin, and that's where Catholics make the distinction here. Now, hold on, I'm just adjusting the microphone, just trying to, trying to get the sound right. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you perfectly, brother. Okay. All right. So that's the first thing. Catholics do not believe that purgatory is a second option. Catholics believe purgatory is a place where some saved souls uh, will have to be purged of some of their uncleanness before they can enter into, into heaven. So the analogy would be that me and Lewis are invited to a party, okay? Me and Lewis are both going to the party, but one of us has to stop and get showered and get a change of clothes before we go to the party. We're, well, we're exactly. both going. And what they also don't see is that, that, for example, going back to the analogy, that shower, those clothing are coming from Christ. So they're, they're still an extension from the blood of Christ because they'll still right. attack us and say, you you believe that the blood of Christ isn't enough. No, we believe it's enough, but it's a process for the blood of Christ to cleanse us. And that oh. process, you know, yeah, they're, sometimes... They're, it, 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 it's a false canard. When it's, it's, a, it's a false argument. It's an argument that, you know, the, we believe the blood of Christ is insufficient because it, 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 like I said, it's a false argument because it's not that we don't believe the blood of Christ is sufficient. The difference is how the blood of Christ is applied to us. It's whether what we do is sufficient. So they they wouldn't argue that there's no response on our part. They they believe that the the only response on our part is that uh, you must believe the Lord Jesus Christ. You must make a verbal and intellectual profession of faith in Jesus Christ. So that shows they believe that there's an action that you must take. Well, you know, we believe it goes beyond that. Again, that's an argument for another day. So now let's talk about this idea of indulgences. Now, now Protestants believe, and rightly so, there is nothing that we can do after we leave this life in order to merit salvation. We're either saved or not saved by what we do on earth. Okay, and there and we Catholics believe that a soul in purgatory can do nothing for merit. It can do nothing to gain its own merit. It can only be purged of its sin through the suffering in purgatory. They cannot do any works. In fact, we believe that souls in purgatory cannot even pray for themselves. That, that prayers that they would offer for themselves would be of no avail. 
only other people can pray for them. And other people can make satisfaction for them. And this is what Paul talks about in I, I unite my sufferings to the sufferings of Christ, and in my flesh I uh, in my flesh I add to what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ for the sake of the body of the church. This is Colossians chapter one, verses twenty four and twenty five. So we get into this idea of indulgences. And basically an indulgence is prayer or a sacrifice, that, that whether that sacrifice be fasting or, or dealing with something uncomfortable in our life or whatever it may be, a prayer or a sacrifice or what have you, can be offered by Lewis or myself for a soul in purgatory. Okay. Exactly, and it's in and it's in scripture. Um, right. Going to the Book of Maccabees, that's ironically Protestants removed exactly for that reason because even they can't deny that it taught purgatory. So right. they they purged it out of the Bible and just said it's a fake book because it doesn't match with scripture, despite the fact that it is scripture. Right. So this 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 idea of um, you know, that sin, the sin has to be atoned for, that there has to be a temporal atoning for sin in purgatory. Well, indulgence is nothing more than something that is substituted that remits some of the, of the time that a person uh, that, that either myself or Lewis or some other person who's already in purgatory would have to spend there. Now, there are two types of indulgences. There is a partial indulgence, which removes some of the time, and there is a plenary indulgence, which removes all of the time. Hmm. Protestants like to refer to this as selling salvation. Well, it's not selling salvation, because an indulgence yeah. is only a value of somebody whose sins have been forgiven. Yeah, um, Catholic okay. Answers makes that very clear. It's to, you know, indulgences don't forgive sins. They take away the consequences of sins already forgiven. Right, right. So, now, the, the way that we approach salvation and the way that we approach grace is so totally different from our fathers and, Protestant brothers and sisters. They don't really understand. They don't really understand our point of view which is happens to be the biblical point of view. And yeah, and it's affirmed by all of church history. Right. And um I don't mean to cut you off, but um they also come to the to the illusion that um Catholics are the only ones that believe in a cleansing after death. Um that just shows how little they know about church history and uh, that contributes to a lot of their issues, you know, and their doctrinal errors. But Catholics, we are not the only um, Christians that believe in a cleansing after death. The Orthodox Christians and uh, the Oriental Orthodox have the, the, the doctrine of we call what they call the toll house. Um, it's a little different on how the purification happens, but the, the main idea is the same. There's a purification that happens after our death, and it comes from Christ. And, you know, you can pray for those people, you know. Right. So, so one of the go-to verses. Not, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. 
That's just not true. Protestants want to make it look like Catholics only believe it as a way to discredit us to make it seem like we're making this stuff up. Well, just simply isn't true. Even the Jews, for example, they believed in a purification after after death. They called it um, Genora or, or something by that name. But I'm sorry, right. what were you saying, John? So the go-to verses that Protestants like to use to um, to for this idea of free salvation. Now they go to Ephesians chapter two, verses eight to nine, and they conveniently chop off verse ten, and they miss interpret verses 8 and 9. So it says, by grace you have been saved through faith. It is the free gift of God, not of works, that any man should boast. And then it says that that grace is provided for the good works that we must do that are prepared for us in advance. So you break that down and you look at basic sentence structure. We are saved by grace. It is the free gift of God. Well, it can't refer to saved because saved is an action, not a noun. Okay? So it must refer to the noun. It must refer to the subject of the sentence, which is grace. Grace is the free gift of God. Now, we must cooperate with that grace. And if we don't cooperate with that grace, the grace cannot grow in us. This is the parable of the, of the sower who sows the seed. He sows the seed to everyone. Some of it falls on rocky ground. Some of it is choked up by thorns. And some of it falls on rich soil and bears fruit. This is grace. Uh, and it is, it is only through that cooperation in that freely given grace that salvation is even possible. So to a person who has faith and a person who truly does things that manifest that faith and demonstrate that faith, special graces are given. Graces are given to help that faith grow and to help that person do what they must do to persevere in the faith. And Matthew 24, 12 tells us very clearly that he who perseveres to the end will be saved. Okay? And the, the book of James, again, I know we've mentioned the book of James a lot, but it's because it adds so much clarity. Um, what does the book of James says? Uh, and Protestants hate this part, but it literally says faith is completed by work. Our cooperation. Faith without works is dead. We are saved by works and not by faith alone. I don't right. know how much clearer it can get than that. Understanding of grace. Grace is what makes salvation possible. Grace is what makes it possible for us to follow God. Grace is what gives us contrition. This is why souls in hell, when I hear people say, well, how can God leave a soul in hell no matter how long it suffers and repents of its sin? Well, souls in hell cannot repent. They can't. They're not able to. They have no desire. They, they have no ability because repentance comes from God. Contrition comes from God. It, it's a result of God's grace. God's grace is withdrawn from them. 
So a soul in hell could not be sorry for its sins, even if it wanted to. Can't do it. Repentance is a gift from God. When we seek God with true sorrow for our sins in faith, it is actually us returning God's gift to him. God's gift of the Holy Spirit is what places that repentance, that contrition in us. And if we listen to that contrition and turn back to God in, in that act of repentance, our sins can be forgiven. If we do not, they can't. They can't. And this is why once saved, always saved is such absolute garbage. It's garbage because God cannot forgive an unrepentant mortal sinner. It would be a violation of his perfect justice, and he simply cannot do that. He cannot violate his own justice. No, try to get around that by saying, well, someone that's saved, God won't allow them to fall into mortal sin, but that's a lie. That's a very strong lie, too. An extremely strong lie, and it doesn't match what the Bible tells you at all. Oh, I mean, the book of <laughs> Hebrews does a pretty straightforward job destroying the idea of once saved, always saved. Right. Hebrews 6, 4, 6, you know, talks about people that have the Holy Spirit in them, people that partook in the ministry of God, but then went back sinning and lost, right. you know, the relationship with Christ because of it. Another verse that pretty much destroys one saved, always saved, is um, if a righteous man in the last moment of his life returns to a life of sin, all his good deeds will be forgotten, you know. Right. Um, I don't think it gets much clearer than that. Why would that verse even exist if salvation wasn't possible to be lost? We're going to go back to the Old Testament real quick. We're going to talk about Elijah and his battle against the prophets of Baal. Very famous story in 1 Kings chapter 18. And um, not long after that, in 1 Kings, uh, I mean, in 2 Kings, um, or is it, I'm sorry, it's, I lost my place. It's it, it's a short time after that. Maybe First Kings chapter twenty. I'm gonna have to look this up. There's a short time after that when Elijah is taken up to heaven in the chariots of fire. Sorry, I lost my place on that. Maybe you can uh, look that up while I'm talking. When when Elijah is taken up in the chariot of fire. But here's the here's the point. The point that I'm making is that that famous scene took place on the mountain over the plains of Megiddo, which is known in the book of Revelation as Armageddon, the mountain of Megiddo. Well, that mountain is actually Mount Carmel. And when he was taken up into heaven in the uh, chariot, his garment was left behind, the garment that fit over his shoulders and was retrieved by his successor, Elisha. Well, this points forward to Our Lady of Mount Carmel placing the, uh, giving the scapular of Mount Carmel to St. Simon's Stock. So why is this typology important? Well, it goes back to what we talked about with grace. Uh, and, and, and grace is what gives us the ability to repent. And the most important is final repentance. 
final perseverance. What gives what does the grace it say in scripture? To... Those who endure to the end will be saved. I, again, I wonder why it says those who endure to the end will be saved if supposedly, and I'm being sarcastic, scripture teaches that salvation can't be lost according to certain Protestants. Here's here's the here's the idea. So final perseverance is is what's described as that that final perseverance of the soul until death, so that that soul dies in the friendship of God. And we Catholics firmly believe that a soul that is truly seeking God with all its heart and all its soul and all its uh, mind and all its strength, though that soul may stumble, may fall, if its efforts are sincere, God will grant that soul final perseverance. God will grant that soul the graces needed. We believe this is the one prayer that's granted by God infallibly. Lord, give me what I need. Give me the graces I need to be saved. And we believe that God will grant that soul that, that prayer infallibly without fail, if the soul is sincere, if the person is sincerely trying to be saved. So this final perseverance is what uh, Our Lady Scapular of Mount Carmel is. It's a, it's, a, it's a sacramental, it's a sign of devotion, and it is a sign of devotion to Christ through his mother, and it's, the, the scapular is not some sort of amulet. It doesn't have magical powers. It's, it's, it's a sign of devotion. It's a sign of a covenant. It's a sign of a promise that a person who is devoted to Christ and his mother through this devotion will be granted before their death the grace of final perseverance. In other words, that soul will receive before it dies the opportunity to repent of its sins. Okay? The soul will not be taken suddenly in a state of mortal sin. If the soul, this goes back to what we were saying a, a minute ago, if a soul is truly seeking God, it will find him. Now, if the soul is going through life carefree, not thinking about God, or even attempting to mock God, that soul will not be saved. So when it says on the scapular, whoever dies clothed in this scapular will not suffer eternal fire, the obvious understanding of that is when it says whoever is clothed in this scapular, it means not just having it over your shoulders, but truly being clothed in it, devoted in it, devoted to it as, as, as a devotion. In other words, clearly being devoted to Christ in this way that God will grant that soul final perseverance and that soul will not go to hell. That's the promise. That's what Catholics believe about the brown scapular of, of Our Lady. Now, 
we brought up a whole host of issues here that our Protestant brothers and sisters may want to debate us on. Did Our Lady really appear to Simon Stock? We believe that she did. Is the brown scapular devotion uh, something that's absolutely in keeping with the Bible? We believe that it is. Uh, all of these other issues, purgatory, indulgences, all of these things, they all flow from the merit and the treasure of grace. And these are all things that the Catholic Church, the Christian Church, has believed since its inception. Let's remember that our lady's appearance to St. Simon Stock was somewhat 300 years before the Protestant Revolt, Lewis, if my memory is correct. Uh, can you please repeat that last question? The appearance of Our Lady of Mount Carmel to St. Simon Stock was some 300 years before the Protestant Revolt. Yes, it was. And in addition to that, that's just the appearances of that you just mentioned. But there was other Marian appearances long before yes, that by, had been by the way, happening. The answer to my question from a few minutes before, it's in Second Kings chapter 2, where Elijah is taken up to heaven in the chariot. And I, I apologize for that brain cramp. <laughs> Sometimes you just, you, you know, you just forget things. So we've kind of given an outline of belief, of our beliefs. Now, people are going to agree with us. People are going to disagree with us. And that's fine. This is an out, outline of what we believe. This is what we believe about purgatory. This is what we believe about indulgences. This is what we believe about sacramentals like Our Lady Scapular of Mount Carmel. In no way, shape, manner, or form does this make Our Lady a goddess. It does not make her a mediator between God and man. There's only one person that's qualified for that position, and that's the one who is both mediator, uh, who is both God and man. So he's the only one who can act as mediator. And it doesn't make a lot of these things, you know, true that our Protestant brothers and sisters claim. The fact is, it, it, it has really has nothing to do with salvation itself. It has to do with purgatory, which is a temporal sequence of sin. I, I just find this ironic, these accusations ironic from people who believe that all you have to do is say one prayer and you're saved for eternity. And and what you do after that matters not. I mean, if we followed their belief system and and Mary was a goddess, it wouldn't matter. We believe in Jesus so we can follow a goddess and we're still saved if we believed in their belief system, which we don't. And, of course, Mary is not a goddess. Anyway, I, I think we've laid it out. I think we've made our case, and they can decide what to do with it um, if, if they want to challenge us on any of these points. But understand this. If you debate us, we're going to debate you on what Catholics actually believe, not on what you falsely claim not that we believe. That, yeah. Anything you'd like to add, Louis? Yeah, um... Have we um, have we been talking about specifically where does it mention purgatory in scripture? No, uh, and that's something that we'll say for a debate. It is absolutely mentioned in scripture, but we'll say that. Yeah, I, mean, I thought we were gonna. I thought we were gonna like you know tell people where, but I understand. 
So um, wanted to make a, a couple other announcements before we go. Um, uh, Deborah Haas and Fred Boley have decided to move to another platform. Um, it really was decided by their ministry and the direction their ministry wants to go in, plus they wanted a simpler platform, and um, they wish us nothing but the best. We wish them nothing but the best, and, um, you know, we'll go forward. But uh, Friday, we're going to be doing Luke Haskell's show on Friday, but then after that, starting on the 21st, Luke Haskell is going to be on Mondays. So I want to go through real quick what our new Blog Talk Radio schedule is going to be that we're transitioning to. Okay? On Sundays, yeah. the only show that we're going to have on Sundays is at 3 p.m. We're going to have the Divine Mercy and Saint of the Day with Richard Pettis. Mondays, we're also going to have the Divine Mercy and Saint of the Day at 3 p.m. And then at 7 p.m. is going to be the new time slot go show. Tuesday is going to be at 3 p.m., the Divine Mercy and Saint of the Day. And then the rest of Tuesday is going to be a flex schedule. That's when we'll probably, that's when we'll likely be bringing in guests and, and such. Uh, on Tuesday, August 15th, for example, we're going to be doing a show with uh, Thomas uh, Gabor in the first half hour. And then in the second half hour, we're going to be playing a clip from the book, Why Meadow Died by Max Eden and, um, and Andrew Pollack. Now, Thomas Gabor co-wrote the book um, called American Carnage with Fred Guttenberg. Now, Fred Guttenberg and... Andrew Pollack were both parents of uh, students who were killed in the shooting at Parkland High School in, in February of 2018. We're going to be talking about this very, very serious issue of gun violence in schools and what we need to do to address this, this issue. That's going to be Tuesday the 15th. So Tuesday is going to be a flex schedule. We're going to kind of move things around. We'll bring in guest hosts. Maybe some days we won't have a show on Tuesday. Some weeks we might not have a show on Tuesday. It's going to be flexible. Wednesday at 7 p.m. is going to be Catholicism Rocks. In fact, tomorrow um, I'm waiting for the information from Jack, but we're, I want you to call in tomorrow, Lewis, because we're going to have a, a another interview with an author that Jack wants me to do, but I haven't gotten the information yet, so I don't know who the author is. Thursday. Thursday at 6.30 p.m. is Terry Delt's Taken to the Streets program, which is just a fantastic program. Uh, he and has of more course, courage. What's that? He has more courage than, most, than any person on the media, on the mainstream medium. It takes someone with a big and strong um, Christ-centered heart to go out in the streets and, you know, spread the gospel accurately. Yep. And, of course, um, Wednesday and Thursday, like the other days, we're also going to have the Divine Mercy and Saint of the Day at 3 3 p.m. And on Friday, same thing. 
And on Friday, we're also at 7 a.m. going to still continue having the Ken Litchfield Apologetics Show, the, the Catholic Ken Apologetics Show. So at 7 a.m., uh, Ken Litchfield, at 3 p.m., the Divine Mercy and Saint of the Day. But then the rest of Friday is also going to be a flex schedule. So we'll, we'll you know, have occasional guests or what have you. Saturday. At 12 noon, we're going to continue to have the Burnt Toast and Coffee Show with William Hemsworth. And at 3 p.m., again, the Divine Mercy and Saint of the Day. Then the rest of the day, Saturday, is going to be open. I actually like this new schedule because it gives us a lot of flexibility. Because we've had a lot of people that have touched base with us that want to come on our show for guest appearances and what have you. And now we're going to have the flexibility to be able to do that. And, uh, and and we have a bunch of people that we're talking to, a bunch of people that we're working with that, you know, we've got to work out all these all these details and, and everything. But um, we do currently have a show at number three in the Blog Talk Radio rankings. It has been there for, I guess, about a week and a half, maybe almost two weeks now. Been in that number three spot. And we're hopeful that it's going to uh, move up to number one, give us our second number one. But we'll see how that's going. But um, we're just going to keep uh, we're going to keep plugging along. And we want to thank you for joining us. And bless you and everyone. And have a wonderful night. Yes, God bless. Do you, should we leave?